Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design in Melbourne at RMIT University, and I'm here with uh, architect Ian Briggs, who's a one of three directors of Plus Architecture. Welcome to the show, Ian. Thank you very much, Stephen. Ian, it's an interesting practice, uh, Plus Architecture. I would say you're probably dominating the market at the moment in high-rise residential apartments, and I'd say that would be pretty spot on. Yeah, that- yeah. Um, you don't really think about uh, comparing yourself to anyone else It's or, or the amount of work you're doing. You just do the job and, and you do what you love. And if that happens to show through in the amount of work you, you uh, mm-hmm. achieve from clients, then that's all well and good. Let's backtrack. You studied in Tasmania. That's you probably grew up in probably an environment that's almost diametrically opposed to the environment you're working in now, which is high-rise urban environments. You grew up in a backwater in... <laughs> I grew up in the countryside of northwest Tasmania. Um, so for me, growing up as a child, the tallest building around, my skyscraper was a six-storey building in Launceston. That's pretty threatening. <laughs> That's, it was remarkable. I was, I was so excited when I went to the big city and looked up at the tall towers mm-hmm. of six storeys. That was there. That was there. So you left. You studied at Tasmania University in architecture, and then came to Melbourne. Yep, that's correct. And formed Plus Architecture. That's correct. With um, Craig Yelland and Ryan Estrons. Right. So the three of us head up the company from um, that period of time, and we've slowly grown, and and now we've just recently appointed another director, Jessica Liu. Uh, and we've recently also opened our Brisbane and Sydney offices. And it's now a, a very big practice. You're looking at 50, 60 staff. That's correct. So it's quite big. Yeah. How did you get into the apartment market? Because everyone's now on the bandwagon, but you've been doing it for many, many years. What was some of the earlier work that you were doing? I'm thinking, I mean, society is one project, but that's already was well down the track. What were some of the earliest work you were doing? Some of the very early work we did was uh, down in the formation of uh, Docklands, uh, in particular Newquay with Map Corporation. Um, and it was a really interesting, exciting time because... What year are we talking about? Uh, that was about 2000 when those designs were starting to be constructed. And it was a time when nobody really um, knew what uh, Docklands could have the potential to be. Uh, nobody really knew in uh, Melbourne what apartment living on a, a grand scale um, that now Docklands uh, tries to aim for uh, could be. So we were really um, pushing the frontiers. All of us down there were pushing the frontiers of what uh, inner city living might be like. Okay, so, and then a, a, a major project that came through more recently was society. Yes, Society was a, a really exciting project um, in that the the typology of living um, that our client challenges with completely changed. Um, prior to Society, apartments were designed uh, as if they were miniature houses. And I think Society, the brief for Society, was one of, well, how, how do people really want to live in the inner city? Do they need... Um, lots and lots of um, bedrooms and, and space, or does a single person um, uh, really need all that space, or can they actually live in a smaller space but for, share amenities with the rest of the residents? Let's backtrack, and just for people who don't know society, it's a high-rise development just sitting behind Chapel Street, 
um, just to fill people in on what it looks like. Um, and it's it's very communal. You've got a lot of facilities, uh, rooftop cinema. Uh, correct. That's correct. Um, um, we have a, a, a what was called a lobby culture, which was a, um, a a fairly large lobby space on the ground floor that wasn't just where the concierge would welcome you, but it was also the coffee shop for the residents. Um, it was the bar on Friday, Saturday nights. Um, it was a place where people would actually gather as an extension of their own living space, and that was how all the communal spaces were uh, conceived and designed as extensions of their own space. And only a, a couple of years ago, um, uh, Craig, my fellow director, and myself went and actually walked around the building after it had been lived in for a few years uh, with the building manager, who's normally the grumpiest person because he has to clean up after everyone else. And he was very, very proud of the fact that the building actually worked. People really did uh, use the spaces, take care of the spaces. And I think the, the, the idea that um, residents don't cherish or love a building, I think... Um, is misguided. People really do take care of the space around them uh, if it's well designed. It's interesting, the society, because they were extremely small. They are extremely small. I mean, we're looking at 30, 35 square metres. That's correct. There's 35 square metre apartments with fold-down beds, um, curtains around spaces to demarcate different zones. Um, but it doesn't work unless you have the, the adjunct spaces, which are the communal spaces. Mm -hmm. um, so many developments since that building... Um, saw the small apartments and didn't understand the necessity of the other communal spaces to make the overall building work. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately there, there's been a, a spate of uh, very small, very poor amenity buildings that say they mimic the, the lifestyle of society without actually understanding the whole picture. It, that is an interesting point and I think what's happening and correct me and tell me if I'm wrong, but a lot of developers, architects, are almost kind of just ticking the boxes. Oh, we need a home theatre, you know, we need a theatre, we need, you know, a rooftop terrace. They're just, they're kind of just paying it's, lip service to those facilities. It's or going amenities. through the motions without really understanding. And um, some of the really exciting things we're doing at the moment is is trying to bring back a diversity of not just apartments, but also apartment users and livers into our buildings. So, for example, um, we're now producing three-bedroom apartments in apartment buildings again, which is really great because that gives the opportunity for families uh, to move back into buildings. But then they may not really hang out in the uh, the, the yoga room that often or the, um, the bar downstairs. They may need actual different spaces. So we're starting to supply communal library spaces for um, maybe the teenagers that might live in the building. Mm -hmm. um, uh, veggie patches for the mum and the the young kid or, or whoever to go down and and share some time on, in the actual outdoor space of the the veggie garden, um, producing the the shed where people can actually get some some tools and and do whatever they want to in the in the communal shed. So those sort of functions we're looking at supplementing um, apartment buildings so that they become places that are more like uh, vertical villages rather than uh, a slab of flats. There was an interesting building that would have, that was going ahead. I don't know if I can talk about it. Uh, the one in the city, which was a very interesting concept. Am I allowed to talk about that one? Probably not, but let's have a go. Oh, no, do you, well, you, well, it was just going to be one of the highest buildings in Melbourne. Um, the yes, we can talk about that. Oh, okay. Um, it was a project that unfortunately didn't go ahead, so that's why we can. Um, 
but it, it was, was an exciting concept. It was. It was going to be a seven-star green star building when completed, which would have been about now-ish. Um, and it was a mix of uh, restaurants, uh, different types of lobbies, hotel and office. And that, again, was a, a vertical city, virtually, um, with high streets halfway up the building. Um, and I think that sort of project, combined with the environmental sustainability design aspects of the building, which included uh, algae facades that would generate methane, which would power generators in the ground uh, to create electricity for the building, um, double skin facades, uh, uh, solar panels across the facades. So some of those um, innovations, which we're just starting to see happening now, uh, our client and ourselves were were speculating on in 2008 when we started that project. And then there was the global financial. And a small hiccup happened, yes. When you stop a project like that and you've put so, invested so much energy and time, creative you know, energy into a uh, project like that, it must be incredibly devastating for the office. But do you pick yourself up and just say, well, we'll use some of those ideas for something else? Or do you, I mean, how do you deal yeah. with those situations? Every project, whether it goes ahead or not, um, is part of your, uh, I guess, memory and repertoire to continue on. You learn lessons no matter whether a building gets built or not. You learn more lessons when it gets mm-hmm. built, um, such as society. But um, it's never wasted. It's just disappointing not to see visions realised. You're also working on a new project. Can I talk about that one? Definitely. In uh, Mooney Ponds? That's correct. Very interesting project. It was the result of a limited uh, competition, design competition, and it's where the Mooney Ponds market Used to be. Used to be. That's correct. So it was just dirt, dirt at car the, park? At the moment, the well, the Mooney Ponds market stopped a while ago, and since then it's just merely, simply been a, an open-air car park um, and a bit of an eyesore for Moody Pond Central. So we won the competition uh, and we are designing the first stage of the master plan for um, that site now. Um, and it's a really exciting project. The The building is not the, the glamorous skyscraper that you might find in the city um, in height, but it still has to... Uh, Act as the the front gate and the um, the the marker for this new precinct, and as such, there's a balance between finding a um, inverted commas the iconic building that provides a signature for the development, as well as uh, being a good resident to an existing structure and an existing network of streets and community that is there presently. It must be actually very difficult creating a you know a community rather than just another building. Oh, it's yeah. the most exciting thing of all, creating communities. Mm. Um, anybody can create a building. Mm. Um, uh, a warehouse is a building. A piece of architecture is something quite different. A piece of architecture should be something um, that people love and, and want to embrace and, and keep. And this project isn't really isn't just for the residents. It's also for the local community who will be using the library, which will be involved. That's, a, that's part of um, the stage of the development, um, not the immediate first stage, mm-hmm. uh, but the, the the building and its surrounds will form a, um, a vital linkage that is presently missing in the community. Um, uh, we're providing civic space around the building for residents to use as well as the community to pass through and to engage with. Uh, we're looking at pop-up markets that can then reinstate the old 
Mooney Valley Market that used to be there. Um, so it's 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 great to I guess pull the threads back together of a site um, in that situation and see it come alive again. There's even a bit of a um, homage to uh, Dame Edna in the plan, or is that? There was a, um, a speculated uh, Dame Edna Everidge, um Memorial Gallery. I can't really call it a memorial yet, I don't think. No. <laughs> <laughs> However, um, yeah, that, that'd be kind of fun, given the fact that they've already named uh, one of the streets adjacent to the site Everidge Street. We thought it'd be appropriate if there was some sort of uh, more significant structure in his, her honour. And that's not going ahead? or uh, That's still in play. Oh, OK. It'd be an exciting concept. It would be. Um, in how have apartments changed? Because you've been in it now for, you know, getting on to... It's getting close to 20 years. Yes. Um, how do you see... You know, what are people wanting more of in an apartment and less of? Uh, they want the the freedom to choose how they want to live at prices that they can afford. They want um, the feeling that they are individuals, but also part of a a bigger community. Um, They want to be able to look at their building and feel that it's their own home. And I think that's the most exciting thing about apartment design, whether it's small apartments or big apartments. They're not just being one of hundreds. Not one of many, yes. And that's difficult, um, given the constraints of the the building um, and development uh, industry that one finds oneself amongst. So that's the challenge of of architects, is to provide all those great things um, and still get the business of building a building up and running. Ian, uh, you could have been satisfied just developing uh, Melbourne or designing apartments in Melbourne... Why Sydney and Brisbane? What was the urge to expand into other states? And and how do you see design differing in those places? Uh, in in both cases, um, the, the the urge was more about an, uh, a desire to learn um, from different locations. And you know, coming from Tasmania and, and landing in Melbourne, uh, I discover Melbourne through architecture and through design. And um, I discover the different neighbourhoods, the different precincts, the different nature of whether it's Carlton or Fitzroy or St Kilda or uh, Kensington or Footscray. Um, and the same goes for Sydney and, and Brisbane. Um, they're, they're both amazing cities in their own right. Um, and they've both got amazing stories to tell. And I find that through design, um, I can learn about those things. So, for example... In Melbourne, um, a west-facing apartment might be a little bit uncomfortable for for a few few weeks a year. In Brisbane, nobody would ever dream of living in a west-facing apartment. Um, so climatic conditions alone start to dramatically change your point of view and your reaction to sites and briefs, and that's really really interesting. What are the other issues that you're dealing with? You know, in in areas like Sydney, how do they? What are their expectations of apartment living as opposed to someone in Melbourne? The biggest difference in both Sydney and Brisbane compared to Melbourne is that Melbourneites will either live in the apartment or next to the apartment building in their own community, in their own little precinct. They're very tribal. Mm-hmm. Um, Brisbane and Sydney, you're either in your apartment or on your deck. Or you've gone to the beach, and so the idea of communal facilities in both those cities is much less important because of the more fact outdoors. that it's more outdoors. Yeah, so that changes 
um, it changes the emphasis on the communal facility versus the amenity of the internal apartment itself. So the deck in both Sydney and um, Brisbane. Brisbane become vital living spaces as opposed to in Melbourne where really often it can be a windy and fairly wet mm. sort of space. So they're some of the big lifestyle changes that, again, start to inform the design of a building. Mm-hmm. Uh, plans at this stage to work overseas, or you are doing work in China? We are doing a little bit of work in China. We've just come back from a, a state, Victorian state-sponsored trade mission there, um, and there's boundless opportunities and also boundless considerations to what work we do there and, and how we do it. So we're always open to opportunities, um, whether it's China or um, closer to Australia, um, whether it's Southeast Asia or even New Zealand. Um, but at the moment, we, we, I think we'd like to consolidate our offices in Sydney and Brisbane, as well as Melbourne, for the mm-hmm. time being. And Ian, you're the key design director for Plus Architecture. So literally, you work with a team of people, and then you've, the other directors work on other areas of the practice. That's correct. So that's quite an unusual arrangement as well, having just one design director, or is that quite common? Um, it's less common. Um, often there is a, um, a more design-focused director in any office, but typically offices are, are more sort of mini offices within the office. So a director, a single director will see a project through from start to finish, whereas a plus architecture, um, Craig will see the project from the purchase of the site through to understanding what the massing and the and the the form of the building might be to achieve the brief of the client has set and then I would then take that project um, and start to finesse it design it um, in a way that uh, achieves the architectural outcome that we need so there we have the business case designed and we have the architecture designed and then Ryan Estrunz the other director um, would then take those two considerations and actually make sure it could be built what do you think are the main challenges facing apartment living going forward? You know, if I said to you, Ian, if you think, you know, in, say, 20 years' time, how do you, how do you see Australians living? Um, I would say in my time in, uh, spent in Melbourne, which was started in 2001, the number of dwellings being built in Victoria has dramatically changed from being single houses to being apartments. Um, and that's just going to keep going. Um, there's only so much space on the planet. Um, the more buildings you make, the less space there is. So ideally, consolidation, um, for everyone's sake, uh, is better in theory. How that's done in practice is is uh, critical. So um, understanding the environmental impact of every building we build uh, is really crucial, and understanding its social impact and cultural impact is critical. Um, as far as the way that we live in the future, I think the ability for people to um, be able to form communities and subsets is really vital so that we don't lose our uh, sense of who we are. Um, you know, there's dystopian visions uh, presented by Blade Runner, for example, um, where everyone lives in giant pyramids. Well, that's probably not where we want to be. Uh, so it's finding that balance between um, using the Earth's resources preciously yeah. and um, still actually creating spaces where we can call our own. The other thing I think is a good point is that there has been a trend to upsize apartments. You know, we went down very, very small, and now I believe we're going a little bit more. That's correct. 
In fact, I got a brief um, from a client about a year ago who asked me to design a building that people would want to live in. And I, I thought that was a strange brief coming from the fact that this client of ours is has already designed, got us to design a number of buildings previously. Um, but I took his word for it. I said, okay, well, let's just, let's just for a change design a building that people want to live in. Um, so we started to look at what that meant. And it's for us, it was a building that um, people would call home. And it was a building that didn't um, try to be the latest icon on the street, but rather a building that would sit within its environment um, strongly, proudly, but without shouting. And the investigations took us to New York and the, some of the apartment towers that surrounded Central Park and the simplicity that they express and the, um, the quiet confidence they express. Mm-hmm. And so we took that lesson and applied it to the, the project, um, which inside has a, a wide range of apartments, whether there's quite small apartments for single people mm-hmm. or very, very large apartments that might have four bedrooms and multiple living spaces. So in that building, um, we're very proud to be able to say that we have a, 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 a really good social mix of, mm-hmm. of different people. And uh, decisions were made um, early on to... Uh, to have all of those people coming through the same lobby, through the same lift, so that there's really a good mix of people, not mm. segregating. Because there are apartments where there is a bit of a hierarchy going on, and the ones with, who live in the one-bedders, you know, use the tradesmen's entrance Indeed. virtually, and then the people who have the luxury apartments, you know, have this wonderful wow, bow, you know, wow. That's right. You know, sense of arrival. So it is, it is a nice. Uh, well, it's it's a lesson. Both. It's a lesson that we learnt from. Um, housing in the United Kingdom where often projects that are over a certain size are required to have a a social housing component Mm -hmm. and in those buildings often the entrance for the social housing is on the other street compared to where the uh, the entrance for the housing for the private residents are and so that segregation um, enforces a stereotype which the residents in the social housing are more than happy to live up to. Mm. Once you have uh, a mix of people, everybody starts to take care of their own space mm-hmm. and take pride in their in their own environment. Mm-hmm. Ian, it's been interesting um, seeing all the work that you've been doing and a huge amount. I mean, it, it's quite staggering when I when I look at the number of apartments. I won't ask you to to name a, to to give me a number on how many apartments you've designed in Melbourne, thousands, literally. But, uh, look, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, It's been a pleasure. And uh, you've been with Stephen Crafty, Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, Ian. Thank you.